Zimbraconda is a proud supporter of Wisconsin Badger Athletics. If you're looking to purchase, finance, or service a new or pre-owned Honda, buy local. Part of the Madison community since 1973, Zimbraconda's customer service is second to none. Experience it today for yourself. Shop local. Shop Zimbraconda. The 10 o'clock hour of Wilby's House begins now, and it begins with a visit from one of our favorite people. Legendary. Well, I actually feel kids. like you mean it this time, too. You say it all the time, and I think most of the time you don't mean it. I feel like you mean it here. So I, I have not gotten to the point that Jesse has. You know, Jesse tears his friends. And, yes, I do yeah. have a lot of favorite people. I haven't tiered them per se, but this guy's pretty high up in the tiers. Like, I know. He's tier one for us for sure. No doubt. It's not even close. <laughs> but for my personal favorites, you know, there's, you know, I don't know if I can maybe get some you know, restaurant credit at my local Mission Barbecue, maybe he would move up in the rankings a little bit. I'm just saying. I did I did do one thing. I gave up a very valuable piece of memorabilia for him. Oh, that's I, nice I got idea. this great Joe Thomas bobblehead. I was going to add it to my collection. Instead, he didn't have one of himself. So I sent it to him, and I kept Homer and his bobble leg in the spot that I was going to put Joe in. Joining us now... Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist and Wilde and Tausch first ballot Hall of Famer. It is Joe Thomas on Wilde and Tausch. Joseph, how are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, Wilde, anytime you want to come to Michigan Barbecue, we'll take care of you. We'll get you a good spread. Whatever smoked entrees you want, just let me know, brother. You know that that is our offer that's always good for you. Now, Tausch, on the other hand, because I'm not tier one, with his friends, nor my tier one in Badger history, nor my tier one in offensive lineman history. He's got to pay full price. But you, my friend. That's fair. Whatever you need, brother. That's fair. Joe, you understand barbecue can be a little messy. And old Wildy here, he will not have ribs touch brisket or that great jalapeno sausage. That can't touch the baked beans. Divided or, plates. So just yeah. so you know, make sure you mm-hmm. get the extra divider plates when you're fill, when you're filling up Wilty. So for Christmas, my wife bought me, which I couldn't figure out how it was my Christmas gift, but uh, she bought me these, like, old school school lunch trays, you know, that have all, like, the different dividers. Of course, they're for the yeah. kids. Yeah. But that's how my kids are, right? And so we got to serve all of the food for the kids in these little <laughs> dividers. They love it, though. It keeps everything nicely organized and separated. And I will personally come down to the Mission Barbecue on the east side of Madison with you, with your child lunch tray, if that's what it takes to get you in the restaurant. Perfect. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be at the Green Bay location about 1230. All right. Okay, so, perfect. So the news comes yesterday that you are among the finalists. So your case will be heard in the room where it happens in advance of the Super Bowl. Look, we've been calling you a future Hall of Famer since our show started and you became, you know, I know you and Tausch have been friends for a long time, but you became a friend of the show as well. What is it like to be at the next step? I know you don't want to take anything for granted, even if we did in the way we kept introducing you, but how does it feel to be one more step closer to Canton. 
It feels amazing. And really, this step was kind of the big one for me. I, I think in my mind, I felt pretty good, obviously, about getting through the first phases because it's a it's a wide net they cast at the beginning. But um, finally getting to the point where you're a finalist and you know, hey, me and the family, we're going to have a chance to go down to the Super Bowl and be one of those 15 people that get the opportunity to potentially be inducted into football greatness. And I think that's really special because I start thinking back, one, on my own career and all the people that were a big part of me being able to become potentially a Hall of Famer in the NFL, going all the way back from when I started playing junior Lancer football in seventh grade and eighth grade and then through Brookfield Central and then on to Wisconsin and then Cleveland. Um, but I also think about like the guys that I watched when I was in high school and college, the Jonathan Ogdens, the Willie Ropes, the Walter Joneses, the Anthony Munozes. Those are the guys that I looked up to when I was a young offensive lineman. And to think that those guys live their bust live forever in the Hall of Fame and that I'm on the doorstep of potentially being with one of those guys, just having my name mentioned with them is sort of a surreal pinch me type feeling. Joe, you're you're as down to earth as anybody can be that accomplished what you have, right? And you and your family, you know, seeing you guys on Instagram and stuff. I mean, you're just you're now you're in this dad mode, which is awesome, and husband mode. But you were a great offensive lineman. I am curious though, at what point did this start to become a possibility in your mind because Let's be honest, you were also suffering through a lot of seasons where the results as a team were not what you were hoping for. And so how did you kind of, how did this become maybe a dream that you thought could become a reality? And when you're talking about the people that have helped you get to this point, uh, I'm guessing that there's some people in your household that have been major factors in you getting to where you are as well. Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting. When I was elected to my 10th Pro Bowl, in my mind I said, you know what, this, this is a big deal because I think I was the first offensive lineman elected to the Pro Bowl in their first 10 years consecutively. Um, and so I knew kind of like that was going to be a big mark for me when the Hall of Fame time came and people were trying to make the case to get me in because obviously – Playing for the Browns, not a lot of playoff appearances, not a lot of Super Bowls, you know, those normal things that people have on their resume trying to get into the Hall of Fame. If you're somebody that touches the football or you're able to tackle people that touch the football, like you have stats. So it's pretty hard to say, like, oh, you know, the, the guy that uh, had so, so many touchdown passes and so 150 or 200 sacks in their career, they don't deserve it because this is exactly where they stack up. You know, as an offensive lineman, we have. Pro Bowls, All Pros, Super Bowls, playoff appearances. That's it. And knowing that I didn't have any of the playoff Super Bowl appearances, um, my candidacy was going to come down to like, hey, what did I do on the field? How do people remember my own career? Um, and so I think that was kind of the first time I thought about it. And then when I got 10,000 straight snaps, I knew that was maybe something that people were going to be talking about because it was historic NFL record. Um, but it is, it is funny now that I've been sort of in mostly dad and husband mode for like the last five years that um, the imposter syndrome that I think I had throughout my career and then certainly even uh, 
when I retired, it, it got bigger. Now thinking and looking at some of these dudes that are in the Hall of Fame that are like my heroes from when I was a kid. I mean, going back to just Brett Favre. When I was 12 years old and they won the Super Bowl, like to think that that guy's got uh, a gold jacket and I could potentially be standing next to him on stage, it makes me feel like I don't belong because I just feel like I'm just a dad in Wisconsin that gets to be lucky enough every now and then to come on Wildey and Tosh and hang out with you guys. So it is kind of a weird feeling kind of living in both worlds and trying to convince myself, yeah, you do belong with the greats of all time in the NFL. Well, you were the first offensive lineman in NFL history, if I remember that one uh, TV superimposed uh, factoid about you. Um, when you, what is the imposter syndrome? You thought you were a poser, that you weren't as good as you, as we all yeah. thought you were. Yeah, I'm sure Tausch could uh, wax poetically because it's something I feel like a lot of offensive linemen have throughout their career. Guys that I've talked to, especially guys that reach a high level, right? A lot of recognition you just have that feeling like you're fooling everybody, right? And I think that's part of what drives you to be great because you're like, man, I don't want to be exposed for being not very good or being crappy. And like, so you're obsessed with going out and being great every single play, knowing that in your mind, or at least believing in your mind, like, oh man, if I give up one sack or have one bad play, everybody's going to point to that and say, see, we knew he sucked. We knew he was no good. Like, so you build this, this idea up in your brain that, you're really not good enough and everybody's fooled but yourself and you know the, the true you. And it's, you know, I think it, it drives you, but it can kind of be bad for some people uh, in some respects. But I've actually talked with some of my colleagues at NFL Network, like Colleen Wolf and people on the analyst side of things that they feel the same thing, but I think that helps kind of drive them and motivate them to prepare and, and to be successful. Uh, you hear a lot of successful people talking about it. Yeah, I, I think you bring you bring up a good, especially as an offensive lineman, because you're only remembered you know, if you have a sack or a penalty. That's how your game goes. It's not that you're going to be perfect, but if you give that stuff up, and that happens, that's oh well, Thomas gave up this or Tom, you know, that's the part that I don't think people understand. And that mentality, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I think for a lot of us that are not as heralded, that are fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. We feel that, but I don't think people know that first-round picks and third-overall players and Hall of Fame players, they feel the same thing. That's in, that was really uh, enlightening, Joe, that that's how you felt, too. Absolutely. And the first time I'd ever heard of it, actually, I was sitting in Jim Huber's office, you know, the great offensive line coach for Wisconsin, Coach oh, Tausch, yeah. coached me. You know, he was pretty tough on people, and I, I can imagine he elicited a few imposter syndrome during his career as a head coach as an offensive line coach because he was so hard on guys but I remember sitting there after I was named first team all big 10 and he was you know talking about it and like oh this is so great you'll be an all-american and all this stuff and I was just like talking to him coach I, I'm not sure I feel like I deserve it but like I sit in that meeting every day, and you tell me how much I suck. So clearly I'm not that good. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. are you kidding me? He's like, you're the best tackle in all college football. And it was the first time I, I think I'd ever heard him say something nice about me. So I was like, really? Is that how you believe? Because I, I feel like I'm not good enough to even be a starter on this team almost. And he's like, you know what? Chris McIntosh, Aaron Gibson, the greats that I've coached, Sorry, Tosh, you didn't mention you. Uh, he was That's like, right. yeah. <laughs> he was like, you know, those guys had that same thing. And he's like, but that's what motivated them 
to be great and to be perfect, which is what you have to do as an offensive lineman because it's easy if you're, if you're a pass catcher or a, or a pass rusher to go, yeah, I really don't care about 80% of the snaps. As long as I'm on for 10 to 15 plays per game, like I'm going to be the hero. Everybody's going to remember me for winning the game because I got that sack on third down or I caught that touchdown pass and look how great I am. But as a lineman, it's the inverse, right? It's like the only time you get noticed is when people are pointing the finger at you and telling you, oh, you're the reason you lost. And so you obsess over every single play and every single detail. So, Joe, when was the moment that you, because you obviously are kind of giving us great detail as far as your mentality as a college player, when did you start thinking, man, I'm pretty damn good? You know, um, in college, after my junior year, right like in that bowl prep time, we had a bunch of NFL scouts come through and – Hughes was the coach, and he was like, oh, these guys, you know, they're coming here to look at you. And I remember talking with one of them, and they were asking me, like, hey, are you going to go to the NFL after this year? And I didn't even really – I had not considered it, right? I, mean, I was just trying to get free beer and bacon at Wando's at the time. That was the biggest concern in my life. And so I was like, uh, I don't know. Why, why would I even consider it? And they were like, well, because you might be the first offensive lineman drafted. And then I was like, oh, wow, really? Okay, so that kind of blew me away. But I did the junior evaluation process where the NFL kind of tells you where you're going to dra- get drafted, and they thought I'd be a top-five pick. So that kind of hit me heavy, like, wow, I'm good enough to play in the NFL. Um, but I honestly, I don't even think it was until the middle of my NFL career, like year five or six, where I went out, and Tosh will tell you how rare it is, where you go out and you literally play a whole game where you don't make – a missed assignment, you don't miss a block, you don't take footwork, eyes, hand placement, the whole game, everything is perfect. It was the first perfect game I had. It was against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I remember getting my grade sheet back, and I knew I played really, really well, and there was no plays in my head that, you know, I was beating myself up over Sunday night or Monday morning, which usually that's all you do. You, you get this pit in your stomach for like 36 hours till you grade the film and you move past it and you start thinking about your next opponent. But it was the first time I didn't have that feeling, and I went in, and sure enough, my coach, he agreed. He's like, you know, I, I thought that was, like, one of the best games I've ever seen an offensive lineman play. You had no mistakes. I don't know if I've ever seen that. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I might be pretty good at this. Like, I feel like I got a good handle on things because up until that point, like Tauscher said, like, all you can think about is the one play you screwed up, and you feel in your head, even though, you know, you – you realize that everybody screws up. All you can think of is that one screw up and that it makes you so much less than everybody else. Huh. Yeah, it is. That's just, that is crazy insight from Joe. Joe, all right, let's switch gears a little bit. And I'm excited. I think everybody in Badger Nation really excited about what's going on. Four star quarterbacks just falling down from the roof. Where are you at as far as you, I know you're doing your podcast with your wife and you know part of the collective, but from a just that fan standpoint, how energized are you by what Luke Fickle and his new staff are, are up to? Yeah, I'm really excited because when I think back to you know kind of what happened in the last couple of years where the Badgers didn't reach everybody's expectations, you know, fairly or unfairly, but the way I looked at it is the quarterback play wasn't good enough, right? We didn't have our starter play well enough, and we didn't have anybody in the pipeline that was good enough to come in 
whether whether there was injury or performance issues with the starter to be able to come in and sort of sh- uh, shepherd the franchise and and the team into the wins that you should get because I feel like our defense was good enough. You know, the run game wasn't there, but I think that was more a result of well, we couldn't throw the ball, so teams were daring us to throw the ball, and they were throwing the kitchen sink at us trying to run the football. Um, and so I'm like, wow, all of a sudden, Fickle's only been here a month or two. And like she said, we got four-star quarterbacks that are knocking down the door to come here and play for Fickle in this new offense, which has got me really excited because one of the things that maybe I was critical in my own personal circles, because I don't really do a lot of Badger, like sports analysis, media analysis, because I just want to be a fan. But one of the things that I thought was like, we need to kind of modernize the offense where we're playing beehive football a lot, where we're playing two, three tight ends on the field where everybody's tightly crowded together and you're just trying to smash it up in there for three or four yards. And if things go well, you might get five or six. If they don't go well, you get one or two. And in today's world in college football, that's just so hard. It's so easy to spread the field out. And if you still want to call 70% runs and run your basic power counter stutter inside zone outside zone like smash mouth physical run game like you can do that but you just have more space because you don't have as many people to run into so you're running back when the play doesn't get blocked well it's still getting five yards and when it does get blocked well it's 40 yards and so to me it's exciting to have an offensive coordinator coming in saying hey we're going to spread this field out we're going to make that defense defend every blade of grass oh and by the way we got a quarterback who can deliver the football over the field oh and he can run so now you're adding a blocker in your numbers count, right? Because now instead of the quarterback turning around and becoming a spectator after he hands the football off, like he might have the ball. So the defense has to take one of their players and basically cover him. And so it's essentially like another defender being blocked. So you're adding a blocker. So it's easier now on us, harder on them because you're putting them in conflict. And you got more space to run the football. And, by the way, we still have a head coach that believes in the philosophies and the fundamentals of the core values of what made Wisconsin football great when Barry Alvarez took over in the 90s, and that's tough guys, blue collar, we're going to work them hard, we're going to be disciplined, we're going to pay attention to detail, and we're going to be more physical than you. Like, we're, we're still believing and resting the foundation of the program on the, those philosophies, but I think with a modern approach and a little bit better recruiting, the sky's the limit for this program. All right, Joe, uh, I, I could keep you forever, as you well know, but I know you've got other stuff on your plate. Talking with Joe Thomas, the finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and member, a charter member, first ballot of the Wilde and Tausch Hall of Fame. But I have two more questions for you. One, uh, unfortunately for you in your time with the Cleveland Browns, you were in the position of spoiler more often than you would have liked. Uh, there's the possibility that that's what the Lions will be in the position of if Seattle wins earlier in the day, which don't get me started on why these games aren't at the same time. I understand ratings, et cetera, et cetera, but it's really unfair to the Seattle Seahawks who could win their game, eliminate the Lions, and then hope that the Lions will eliminate the Packers for them. What's realistic to expect if that's the scenario from a Detroit Lions team that will have found out they're out of the playoffs and is going to be motivated by, hey, let's keep the Packers out too. So I've played in a lot of those meaningless games against my rival because right in the middle of my career about 10 years ago, it seems like the NFL always tried to put these traditional rivalry games right at the end of the season. So if you do have those situations where one team is eliminated, hopefully there's still some juice there for the fans to watch 
and some reason for the players to play hard. Um, and here's what I'll say. It is certainly going to be a downer for the Lions if they know they've already been eliminated. Um, and I'm with you guys. Like, hey, let's play them at the same time. I don't, I don't care what the ratings are and all this stuff. Like, let's play these games at the same time um, so that one team doesn't be, get, wake up disappointed. Uh, anyways, that's a different story. But I will say, being in those guys' shoes, the feeling of being able to eliminate potentially your rival is a good feeling and it's worthwhile, but also knowing that this is your last opportunity with this group of brothers that you've spent the last nine months together, basically more time with these people than your children and your parents and your wife and anybody in your family, like they become your family during the football season and knowing this is your last opportunity. And with a lot of turnover in the NFL, you know, there's probably going to be, 30 or 40% of those guys in that locker room that are going to be different the next year. It, it hits you that this is your last chance to put on that helmet and go play with these guys and how you want to leave with a good taste in your mouth. You want to walk off the field for the last time for some of these guys, knowing that one, you gave everything you had because that, that was always a, a big thing for me in that last game. Like, Hey, if this is my last game, if this is my last game with these guys, I want to feel like I gave everything I had and I left it all on the field. And you know what, to be, to be very frank, like if there's some type of injury that's going to take four or five months or need a surgery to repair, I got the whole off season to do it. Like I don't have to hold anything back knowing that I got to play a playoff game next week. And so sometimes in those cases, you even get a little bit more effort. You might get a little bit more recklessness knowing that those guys don't have to stay fresh for a game in the playoffs. That is going to be more meaningful next week. All right, so to bring it all full circle, uh, there's a grocery store near Lambeau Field, and Leroy Butler got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and now there's like a cartoon character, Leroy, with his gold jacket in just about every aisle. Uh, I believe he mentioned, shouted them out during his Hall of Fame speech and everything else. Here's my question. So now you've got these big school lunch trays that Annie got you, are we going to have a Joe Thomas's Hall of Fame brisket and sausage order where you get like this huge mound of meat at Mission Barbecue? Or at I know you're part of the ownership group at Sports Advantage, which, by the way, is a very clever name that you guys came up with. But if you're... You know, if I'm going into Verona or Oconomowoc, I think there's one in Beaver Dam. We don't have one in Green Bay yet. But is Coming. there going to be like, you could be coached by Pro Football Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. Like, is there going to be some marketing opportunities if, if you are selected for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Is Sports Advantage and Mission Barbecue already cooking up ideas for this? Oh, I like that. You know, it reminds me when I was a kid, I used to go to Burger King all the time. I love that place. And I am not a paid endorser of Burger King, but I did really love it. And I would always get the Gilbert Burger. I don't know if you guys remember that. And maybe it was just a Milwaukee thing, but they used to give you the Gilbert Burger, right? Because I love Gilbert Brown. And it was a double Whopper with like double cheese, double bacon, double everything. Like literally they just put whatever they had in that kitchen on that burger. And I ordered it every time. I, almost every day I went into uh, Burger King. And I think Mission Barbecue needs to do something like that. They need to do the JT Hall of Fame plate where it's just two of all the meats 
on the menu, pile it as high as you possibly can on the school lunch tray. Oneida Street in Green Bay, for Jason Wildey, just down the street from Lambeau Field, right by the Texas Roadhouse, but nobody goes there anyway because they go right past the Texas Roadhouse to the Mission Barbecue. But uh, I will say, we, our sports advantage that we're just opening at the Youth Performance Center in Oconomowoc, we're very excited about that. Obviously, a lot of great uh, athletes coming from the Milwaukee area. Uh, fantastic youth sports. We're going to be training these guys up to be the future professional athletes of America, and you're going to need a good mission barbecue to rebuild those muscles. But we need Tauscher's help because we need to open a sports advantage up in Marshfield, in Green Bay, and get the training that those kids deserve. But we need Tausch on board. He's been very reluctant so far. <laughs> Sydney well, needs a place to go. I'll, I'll eat the JT uh, Hall of Fame brisket at uh, Mission Barbecue. How's that? Thank you for I'll your service, Tausch. Yeah, thank you for your service. you got to pay full price. Congratulations, Joe. I can't wait to see. what. So what is it? You're taking the whole family down, and you're is it going to be is the door knocking back uh, with COVID, or what's the yeah. you know, when and good if this question. happens? Yeah. What's the deal yeah, when question. you get down to Arizona? So good questions. Um, you and my mom are similarly upset with the Hall of Fame for not giving me lots of information and letting me know every okay. little detail already. Well, she we says care. There, needs, we care. there needs to be more moms on the Hall of Fame committee because <laughs> when I was named a semifinalist, honestly, I didn't even know because uh, I wasn't really putting that on my calendar to wake up and find out what the test results were for if I made the semifinal of the Hall of Fame. Um, and they don't, they don't announce it to you. Like they don't call you they, it just goes on their social media page or whatever. And so she said the day later, she was walking through the grocery store and somebody stopped her and was like, Oh, Hey Sally, congratulations. I heard your son was a semifinalist for the NFL hall of fame. And she got all embarrassed because she didn't know about it. I didn't tell her. And she called me to tell me how disappointed she was in her son. And I'm like, mom, I didn't even know. They didn't call me. They didn't tell me. I had no idea. Like, I, I know it is a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but like in this specific journey to the Hall of Fame, hopefully, like that was kind of a small step that like you kind of knew it was going to happen, and so they didn't tell me anything. And so with now that I'm a finalist, I was able to tell her because they did tip me off yesterday um, before they made the announcement, but they haven't given us information on what it looks like now because to your point, Tosh, it used to be the knock on the door, right, where you bring your whole family and you sit in a hotel room and they, they knock on the door you made it. If they call you on the phone, you didn't make it. But I don't know if that's changed since COVID. I know also the director, the um, a Baker, uh, I can't remember what his, his David Baker is not in charge anymore. Right. He's not in charge anymore. And so I don't know if the process has changed and they haven't really let us know, but I, I do think that they're still announcing the class of 2023 Hall of Fame at the NFL honors, which is, I think, the night before the Super Bowl. So I'm Correct. assuming that I'll be down there with the family, but they haven't given us official word. You guys will be the first to know. Then I'm going to call my mom and let her know. Love so it. I That's still fair. make the Christmas card list expect. for 2023. <laughs> Thanks for putting us in front of Sally. We appreciate it. No All right, Joe, have a great day. Thanks for the time, buddy. Happy for you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That is our friend Joe Thomas, uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist. And a Wilde and Tausch hey, Hall of Famer. Hey, sure. I'm going to homer it here. I'm going to go homer. 100% yeah. Joe Thomas is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I I didn't know how to. I didn't. I mean, we all know that, but yet you don't want to count your chickens, kind of a thing. I get it. It's legit fascinating, though, and knowing Joe for a while, like I have, 
I believe him. This isn't, you know, when Robin Yount and some of these other guys get on and talk about how they don't feel like they're Hall of Fame players, and maybe Robin right. Yount's. You know, Robin Yount did that too. You're right. Great example. Joe Thomas completely believed that. And that's why it's it. It was just fascinating to hear yep. somebody at his level who we all know we're watching him on film. You know he's a stud, but even in his own mind, he didn't think he was a stud. That's how messed that up great. offensive linemen's heads are. Yep, you're right. Uh, and we messed up our clock for him, and it was worth every minute of it. More Will D. Tausch straight ahead. Stick around.